X-Ray. Welcome to The Local, your daily dose of hometown news and democracy. I'm Jefferson Smith from Portland, Oregon. It is Friday, September 4th. Friday's a great day to subscribe to The Local and to share it with friends. Today, way back in the day, September 4th, 476, Romulus Augustulus abdicated the throne at the age of 16, marking the end of the Western Roman Empire. By the time he took the throne, the Western Roman Empire had lost most of its glory to invading barbarian forces. Odoacer, a barbarian soldier, deposed Romulus and became the new ruler of Italy. The Roman Empire of the East, also known as the Byzantine Empire, lasted nearly a thousand more years before the fall of Constantinople in 1453. Today, back in the day, in Oregon, Brigadier General Henry Larcom Abbott and his detachment camped at a site along the Deschutes River in 1855. In 1942, this site would be established as Camp Abbott, a training center for the Army Corps of Engineers during World War II. Camp Abbott served as the only such center west of Missouri. The location was chosen due to its isolation and its resemblance to European battlefields. Combat engineers were trained in demolition and construction as well as standard combat. The camp was the base of the largest military training exercise held in the Pacific Northwest, the Oregon Maneuver. The maneuver began in September of 1943 and lasted until November 8th. About 100,000 soldiers took place in that training operation. The base was closed in June of 1944. Some of you, though, may have been there. It was later converted to the Sun River Resort that stands today. You might even see the name Abbott there. And today, back in the day, September 4th, 1981, Beyonce Knowles was born. We'll start with your quick six news headlines, and then we'll have an interview with Alex Zielinski, news editor of the Portland Mercury. She'll have local headlines including updates on the current Police Oversight Advisory Board and comparing and contrasting that with the new Independent Oversight Committee being proposed that's First coming up, to a ballot near you this very election. X-ray. It is time for today's Quick Six Local Rundown. Mayor Ted Wheeler confirms he will be moving. He wrote an email to the other residents in his building alerting they'll be finding a new place to live. On his 58th birthday, protesters arrived at his condo, breaking the windows of the ground floor retail space, lighting a small fire. In the email, Mayor Wheeler apologized for the destruction the protests have inflicted on their homes. When the mayor moves, he will be required to remain within the Portland city limits and make his address public record. Some believe the protests will follow regardless of where he lives. The protests, which have been occurring nightly since the murder of George Floyd, have been calling for the mayor's resignation. On August 28th, protesters locked themselves together in the lobby of his condo building. After a few hours, they left, never having interacted with the mayor. Wheeler does plan to meet with residents and police on Thursday evening to field questions. Mayor Wheeler is, of course, up for re-election. Your daily dose of data, as of Thursday, September 3rd, we have now passed 26,000 Oregon residents who have tested positive. 274 of them are new. And Oregon's total coronavirus death toll is now at 470, confirmed with three new deaths reported on Thursday. Governor Kate Brown has extended Oregon's state of emergency declaration to November 3rd. Governor Brown initially declared that state of emergency on March 8th. She has now extended it three times. State of emergency declarations allow government more authority to respond to crises. She stated that Labor Day may be a critical point for the pandemic. Governor Brown is urging residents to celebrate the holiday responsibly, wearing masks, washing hands a bunch, remaining within their communities. Governor Brown points out that small gatherings, house parties, and barbecues have driven spikes in infection rates. The second annual Hospitality with Heart downtown cleanup event took to the streets on Thursday. The event attracted over 450 volunteers, including Portland's mayor, Ted Wheeler. Solve Oregon, the environmental organization, hosted the event in collaboration with the Portland Business Alliance and the Portland Lodging Alliance. 
Mayor Wheeler kicked off the event to address the impact of the ongoing demonstrations in the area. He told the crowd, and I am quoting, we are here because we love our city. We care about it. It's Labor Day weekend. There are a lot of families here. There are kids here. People are going about their Labor Day weekend the way people do. And what we do not need is groups confronting each other on the streets violently. Businesses in downtown Portland have faced instability since the beginning of the pandemic, which has now been compounded with the effects of the demonstrations. Some business owners believe the Hospitality with Heart event represents unification. The grassroots campaign to write in Teresa Rayford for mayor is gaining some signs of momentum. Rayford, the founder of Don't Shoot PDX, came in third place with 8% of the vote back in May. After the death of George Floyd and the reinvigoration of the Black Lives Matter movement, Rayford's name is being heard around the city. Protesters are carrying signs saying, Write in Teresa Rayford. An online petition where people are pledging their votes has reached over 3,800 signatures. On June 5th, her organization Don't Shoot PDX filed a lawsuit against federal and local officers for using tear gas indiscriminately. Rayford said she will not be actively campaigning, would happily serve, though, if elected. The November ballot will include listing incumbent Ted Wheeler, who received over 49% of the vote in the primary, and Sarah Anarone, who received just over 23%. A $45,000 lawsuit is alleging that a truck with a Trump flag intentionally hit a pedestrian. A woman is alleging that she was peacefully observing the Trump caravan last Saturday night when the truck ran into her arm at the corner of Southwest Washington and 3rd. Woman's name is Holly Perolsky. She reported the incident to the police lieutenant and no citation was issued. A passenger in the vehicle, Brenda Hollister, claims no one was hit and says there's a video. A video posted by Twitter user Corey Elias shows Hollister's truck proceeding through a small group of people moving slowly, some of whom move out of the way when the truck makes contact with them. And some good news, the Multnomah County Library will not be laying off 128 employees, as they previously stated. The Multnomah County Library will not be laying off 128 workers, as they had previously announced. Pandemic closures had pushed the library director to announce those layoffs in July. Originally, those employees would lose their jobs on August 30th, but ASME Local 88 negotiated for September 30th. One of the main arguments was that the layoffs would disproportionately affect people of color as the first-in, first-out basis would target the more recently hired diverse employees. Now, the number of layoffs has shrunk to just 26. The library retained many of the at-risk positions by eliminating vacant positions, incentivizing retirement, and adding outdoor computer labs to their list. And that is today's Quick 6 Local Rundown. Next up, we have an interview with Alex Zelensky, news editor of the Portland Mercury. Alex brings updates on the current Police Oversight Advisory Board, the new Independent Oversight Committee being proposed, and more local headlines. Here are Jefferson Smith and Alex Zelensky. Good morning, Alex. Good morning. After this weekend's protest, three members of the Citizen Advisory Board that oversees the city police oversight work have resigned. What can you tell us about those resignations? Yeah, they all came within uh, 24 hours of each other, um, which is unusual uh, just in any group, but especially even in the CRC, the Citizens Over- or, um, Review Committee, they they have, you know, every so often folks resign, and sometimes they resign in protest for similar reasons that folks are resigning now, but um, to have such in so many resigning quick succession is kind of surprising. The two of them, um, well, I guess one of the three resigned uh, with a really short statement just saying, you know, best of luck. Uh, according to the, uh, the city, she moved to Seattle. So there's no drama there, but with the other two folks, um, they both cited the the lack of 
um, usefulness that they feel like their position overseeing police misconduct and uh, their work trying to hold police accountable for misconduct uh, is is lacking after seeing you know three months of protests in Portland where night after night there's there's videos there's clips there's anecdotes of people being uh, assaulted and, and um, uh, arrested and, and hurt by the police with no real provocation and no um, clear you know punishment from members of the police uh, internal police review at all. Uh, what we hear every night and every, well, every day after these protests from the mayor and the chief of police is, uh, you know, any uh, misconduct, any instances of police who are, um, who seem to be, you know, wrongfully using their power, they can be reported, investigated through the independent police review, um, the office that, you know, that has staff that, that researches and investigates these uh, abuses. Uh, but the CRC, this volunteer board, they're the ones who specifically kind of address misconduct cases that come from members of the public who come forward and say, hey, this happened, um, it seems wrong, <laughs> are you gonna look into it? And for these members to resign saying, hey, we've tried to move the needle, we've tried to hold folks accountable, we're seeing so much abuse now, and there's nothing that we've found that we're able to do or recommend that even is, is paid attention to or listened to um, within the city, we seem, you know, kind of more like a um, just a way to check a box than actual reform. What power does the Citizens Oversight Board, Citizens Advisory Board, have on police oversight? Yeah, um, they they have a number of powers. One of them is to be able to recommend uh, changes based on their own kind of deciding what issues to look into. They've done a number of reports together um, into in the past into how police uh, address folks during a protest, into um, you know, different issues of uh, police accountability and they make recommendations from those reports to uh, the chief of police. But I think the, um, the area that they're most known for is their ability to hear appeals from members of the public who go to the city and go to the um, police review office and say, hey, uh, this police officer, I think he, or I think they, uh, they acted inappropriately for, you know, a litany of reasons. Maybe they, um, they said something really insulting to me uh, while on the job. They arrested me without any evidence. You know, they assaulted me. And then it's on the uh, staff of this uh, investigative office that they look into these issues. But if they say, hey, there's no there's not enough evidence here, we don't think anything happened, then and that member of the public can go to the Citizen Review Board um, and appeal that, that decision and say, hey, um, I actually, I really think that something went wrong here. Uh, and that can be appealed all the way to uh, City Council, which, you know, kind of acts as the, the Supreme Court in these, <laughs> these scenarios, um, which rarely happens. Uh, when it does, it's pretty interesting, um, but it often, Still, uh, the last person who gets to decide if anything happens to an officer who is, uh, you know, accused of misconduct is the chief of police, and that decision happens behind closed doors. No one really knows if anything even happens. The Citizen Review Commission works as an advisory board. It has no power to to actually um, 
uphold discipline or mandate discipline. And that anticipates my next question, which is what powers does it lack? Right now, Commissioner, City Councilor Joanne Hardesty has proposed, the whole City Council has voted upon to refer to voters a ballot measure that would institute a new independent police review board. What powers does that have, uh, would that have, that the current advisory board doesn't have? So first it would be independent um, from the uh, uh, investigative police review kind of office. It would be its own independent group of of members of the public appointed by the city uh, to look into misconduct issues. It would also have the power to to, uh, compel testimony from uh, officers who are uh, accused of misconduct right now that is they're, they're not allowed to, to um, kind of subpoena officers um, at the same time they're also they'd be able to collect documents and have subpoena power to um, do their own investigation not just rely on what uh, staff within the police bureau their own investigation uh, the facts that come from that um, you know it it could have a remarkable amount of um, power and oversight into misconduct it could also you know folks on this volunteer board could also recommend discipline that could be upheld um but which you know this is all uh a big step up from the powers that the crc has right now but i think it's also important to understand that there are still and this is kind of an issue that the the city auditor brings up um in you know her objection kind of to this potential board is that there are still a lot of pieces um, that are restricting change and misconduct kind of um, oversight that are stuck in the state legislature. There's a lot of rules and issues that really can't be changed unless definitions around use of force, unless you know um, uh, certain accountability uh, measures and transparency issues are, are fixed at the state level. And so, you know, there there are there are changes that could be made with this measure, but I think it's not the end all be all to reform and. Another piece of it is even if this this new review board is um, introduced, it still needs to be negotiated into the police union's contract uh, with the city, which means that 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 I mean the result of a lot of these contract negotiations means that if the city proposes something that the police association is not thrilled about, like an oversight board, then the city is probably going to have to lose something else in the handoff. There's going to be a, a give and take, um, and maybe that means larger salaries, larger pensions, maybe that means less uh, oversight and transparency in some other areas. So, you know, there, it, it's it's a big step forward if it would pass, but it comes with a lot of uh, strings attached that still need uh, addressing. If there is something duly voted upon by the city of Portland, uh, by the voters of Portland, they say, okay, well, you know, we'll have a we'll have a negotiation on salary, we'll have a negotiation on benefits, but this thing is part of the deal, and that's sort of separate from the discussion on pay and benefits. Anything that changes that dynamic, or is that just the way of the world? I mean, from some folks that I've spoken with who have, you know, watched these negotiations play out again and again and again in Portland, um, you know, they say the city can just put its foot down. There's no reason why they have to bend to negotiation. Uh, police unions and members of the police and like normal unions, they, can, uh, they can't um, strike. They, they have a few uh, limited number of uh, ways that they can, they can protest if negotiations aren't working in their way, in their direction. I mean, they could stop 
answering 911 calls. They could do a lot of really damaging things in other ways. But uh, Portland does have, city lawyers do have power to say no. Um, and I don't think we've really seen that. It's always been, you know, kind of a friendly negotiation. Well, <laughs> in some ways. But, uh, you know, if the city wants to, at least, you know, according to, to folks who know more than I do, um, they could just stop kind of uh, with a give and take and just say, hey, this is what this, this is what the people in Portland want. We're the ones really paying your your uh, salary right now. If you don't want to be part of this organization, you can you can uh, say goodbye, <laughs> or you can settle on these rules. Which, you know, in a normal union discussion, is is kind of frightening, and it's not the kind of uh, union discussion we really like to see. But when it comes to um, talking about people who are allowed to take other folks' life. And uh, I, I think the whole conversation around unions really uh, can change. And so you're partly just saying the way the dynamic could change is if the negotiators on behalf of the city, if the mayor, et cetera, just were tough negotiators. I hear that. Before you got to go, very quick, there were there's recent audit that shows the city's attempt to diversify contract it contractors, excuse me, shows the city's attempt to diversify the contractors it pays for contract work has more or less failed. Can you give us just a minute or two on the audit and what the program looked into? Yeah, uh, this audit was on a 10-year-old uh, program that was really made in, in good faith to attempt to uh, diversify uh, construction contractors that the city decides to hire for big projects, you know, uh, you know, new traffic, new uh, bioswales, whatever, different projects and, and construction stuff. And uh, and the attempt was to really focus on elevating and um, supporting uh, construction firms owned by people of color and women. Um, you know, whenever a bid comes up for, um, for con- you know, construction companies to hop on from the city, um, that uh, traditionally always goes to big companies, construction companies owned by um, white middle class men who uh, often are rewarded the same um, projects again and again. You'll see them na- their names all over town kind of when big projects pop up. Uh, but this, this audit found that the good intentions in this program, there were no really um, metrics or, you know, accountability measures in place to make sure that um, the purpose of this program would really uh, play out. Uh, and it sounds like without that, there really there was a lot of ability, a lot of wiggle room for people who did not uh, identify as uh, a woman or a person of color um, to still benefit from this program. Um, so, you know, in the end, it seems like there were a lot of um, white men who still were able to get these contracts by even using the system that was created to, to uh, diversify um, these bids. So. There's a 16-point recommendations in the audit office uh, to the city, basically saying these are all the things you need to, to change to actually make uh, movement here and to really truly diversify and see equity within, uh, you know, the folks who decide to, to pay and for contracting work. Um, I think it's it's interesting, especially in the middle of this movement uh, around Black Lives and around you know uh, justice and reform. Um, that looking within the kind of the guts of the city as to, you know, this isn't just policing, this isn't just protests, this is also, you know, how are we building wealth and equity within communities of color here um, that uh, 
and, and how are we using our purchasing power as a city to support uh, equity? And as this audit shows, it's not not necessarily happening. Um, and so it's an opportunity for the city to, to hopefully rework and reconsider um, the purpose of that program going forward. Alex Zulinski, Portland Mercury, you're a gift to our town. You're a gift for spending time here. appreciate you. Thank you so much. Thanks to Alex for joining the local and big thanks to the production team. Editors Will Romy, Miranda Selinger, Jonathan Covington-Brem, Sophie Mallon, and Jaleesa Ringering. Also want to say thanks to writers Jonathan, Sophie, Brian Miller, Julia Oppenheimer, Joy Palchik, Carly Quadros, also Jaleesa, Barb Seaman, Mike Seelig, and Sam Smartyowski. And a big thanks to co-executive producer Emily Gilliland. I'm Jefferson Smith. Also want to say a big thanks to Joy Palchik. Today, Friday, is Joey's last day after two years of X-Ray. He's heading off to Vermont. We'll miss you, my friend. We appreciate you. You can send story ideas and suggestions to the local at xray.fm. You can post compliments and five-star reviews on the favorite podcast app of your choice. Apple Podcasts seems to be a popular one. And thanks for original journalism and research by the Lund Report, the Oregon Health Authority, COVID19.healthdata.org, the Oregon Historical Society, the Oregon Encyclopedia, Portland Business Journal, the Lamette Week, Pamplin Media, OPB, the Oregonian, the Ben Bulletin, Statesman Journal, Bike, Portland, Street Roots, KGW, and a big thanks to the Portland Mercury. Thanks for listening to The Local, your hometown, at about 30 minutes. Thank you, democracy. We will be taking a break on Monday in observance of Labor Day. Talk to you Tuesday. X-Ray.